As always, it's an honor to have the opportunity to uh, share a word with you on behalf of our Lord. And it was easy enough for me to assume that at some point this was going to have to happen again for me because uh, Sarah was quickly approaching her due date. And so congratulations again to Pastor Josh and Sarah. But as I was considering it, knowing that it would fall in the middle of this uh, sermon series on D-list Bible characters, I decided to really try to one-up Pastor Josh by coming up with two D-list Bible characters in the same passage that both start with the letter D. Okay? This, you guys already realize this is going to be a good one with the amount of alliteration that I'm throwing at you. You'll have to listen to the whole thing to find out, though. So, anyway, as we get started this morning, we are going to be looking at, I'm going to be having you consider this question. What well am I drinking from? What well am I drinking from? Growing up on the farm in Parham, um, I think we had probably the best water around. You know, we had a deep well, and it was right near the farm, and, and for some reason, I was spoiled on it. Like, I can't drink water uh, in most places. I really don't like water. You can ask my wife. I pretty much always drink seltzer or something like that. But even still, every summer while we were out haying, we'd be moving through the field. Dad would be on one tractor. I'd be over on the other tractor, and he would shut off his tractor, and he would jump off the tractor, and he'd say, come on, come here, come here, come here. And he would lead me over to the edge of the field, and we would step inside of the woods, and he would show me he would lead me to a freshwater spring just inside the tree line. And he seemed to know where all these were, and I can remember so vividly, I can remember the freshness and the deep quenching that these springs possessed. And for somehow, there was distinct and discernible difference, one that was worth searching for in the midst of a hot summer day, even if you had your thermos filled from water at home. What well am I drinking from? The account that we're going to consider this morning is found in Acts chapter 17, and I would encourage you to turn me with me there. Grab a piece of paper, put it in there. If you haven't already read this as we've headed into the sermon this morning, I'd love you to go back and, uh, and delve into the context of it. But we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 17, and we're going to be starting in verse 16 through 34. This is basically uh, an account of Paul uh, on a layover in Athens. This was not his destination. He was actually there basically because uh, he was escaping a Jewish mob in Thessalonica. And so as he was trying to uh, flee from that, people brought him to Athens, and then the rest of his travel partners actually had to go somewhere else. And so they said, hey, uh, why don't you just stay here in Athens for a little bit? Don't get into any trouble. And so he finds himself in the midst of a Gentile city while he waits for his friends to catch up. And so I want to start reading here in verse 16. It says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of them were Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who conversed with him and said to him, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said that he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? 
For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except for telling or hearing something new. We're going to get to Dionysius and Demarius in a minute. Those are my two D's for the day. But remember, they are just D-listers, so we're going to suss out a little bit our A-list friend Paul here a little bit. But just for context, Dionysius was an Areopagite, or a member of the Areopagus, which was no small deal. It was a, basically a, a small council or judiciary council, and they dealt with a number of different items. They discharged significant administrative and religious and educational functions, and, and for a time even held trials for things like murder. And so Paul finds himself here not only in front of this one man, Dionysius, but also in front of the entire Areopagus and then also a number of important people because later on we're going to hear of this woman named Demarius as well. And he was really ultimately given an opportunity to explain himself because in Athens you had to have the Areopagus' approval to share what you were trying to share so that he could continue this new teaching throughout the city where they love to hear new things. And the thing is, we got to remember that Paul is just on a layover here until his friends arrive. However, the word of the Lord, uh, the word here says that the spirit was provoked within himself. And he saw that the city was full of idols. And see, in Athens, uh, it was a Greek city that proliferated polytheistic views. So if you know anything about Greek and Roman mythology at the time, they, they had tons of gods. They had tons of wor- uh, idols to worship. They built grand temples like the Parthenon in honor of the goddess Athena, and they built the, uh, the temple of the Olympian in honor of God Zeus. And so Paul looked around and he saw this entire city of educated people and men and women who were drinking in from poisoned wells. Wells that could only lead to continued thirst, to emptiness, and in finality, death. Paul was compelled to correct this falsehood around him. To purify the water so that instead of bringing death, it would bring life. And the problem is, is that he was dealing with a little bit more than just a well. In the city of Athens, he was dealing with a veritable sea of idolatry around him. Not just a few dry or poison wells. And in today's day and age, in this in this age of information where we can literally get anything on the little devices we carry in our pockets. Back when I was in high school, you had to use the web crawler, and it took like 20 minutes to search for one thing. You can look for anything and have it in mere seconds. Google gives you those like fractions of a second responses for millions of responses. And with all this information, the secular person and the Christian alike all are inundated with this consumer culture that we are born from. Even as Christians, we must be in the practice of effectively discerning the truth as it aligns with scriptures, with the material that we consume, or else we run the risk of falling prey to the agendas of man and not God. And so for the remaining culture around us, the amount of philosophical arguments and the ways of life must just seem endless. I can't imagine if I was not 
if I had not been raised in a Christian family, how I would exactly go about determining what my faith would look like, what my idea of the afterlife would look like, what my philosophies in this world would look like. Because today, with so much information, with Wikipedia and all those other things, you can literally find anything and everything that you might consider to possibly be true. And so as Christians, we have a job, a responsibility as followers of Christ to expose falsehood for the sake of those who are perishing. We have a job. We can't keep the truth that we have inside of us a secret. And if we do, we're, I think, shirking one of the responsibilities that God has given us. It's our responsibilities as followers of Christ to expose falsehood for the sake of those who are perishing. And so Paul just does just that. It says in verse 22 this, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. And Paul then goes on and he continues addressing the falsehoods of their polytheistic way of life. And he attempts to redirect their tradition towards what's seemingly already there. There's little bits of truth. There's little things in their philosophy that, that, might, that might be of God. But they're diluted and they're poisoned. And so he's trying to redirect them towards it. In verse 24 it says, The God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. Remember, Athens had temples to all their gods. And so he's redirecting them a little. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. I just want to take a side note here. I've heard that a lot. That was actually a quote from one of the Athenian poets. He then goes on to say, for we are indeed his offspring. That's another, uh, uh, another verse that I hear quoted a lot. That was another one of those poets that uh, Paul was quoting here. He was trying to encourage him that these things are true. You're just looking at the wrong well. You're drinking from the wrong well. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And I think he might have had him till about here. I think he probably generally was like, okay, I think we're tracking with you a little bit. And then somebody gets, you know, you go way down this conversation and then things take a turn. And this is what he says. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and they, 
uh, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He begins to enter into this, uh, okay, this makes scientific sense, this makes general sense, okay, I guess this all kind of lines up, and then he says, by raising him from the dead. And their response is, now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Paul presents here an eloquent argument for the one true God. He contextualized the gospel for these people. He brought in lines of their own thinking. He quoted their own poets so that they would see something, so that they would see that they weren't completely off base. I think sometimes people think they are so far from God that there's no way that they can make, uh, make it back to him or make it to him in the first place. The next thing he does is he releases them from the burden of playing earthly host to this slew of little g-gods. He's not telling them that they have to build temples. They don't have to serve these gods, all of these thousands of different gods in the Greek and uh, Roman religions. And he presents them with something new, a way of life. But his spring at the edge of the field, fresh water, instead was met with mockery. I just don't understand sometimes when we think about this, uh, these conversations. These, the, the, these people were hearers and tellers of new things. That they would be so set aside by something so new and different. I think we're happy to hear about new things in our life. I think we're happy to feel like we are uh, intellectual, that we can think through things, that we can uh, have good, solid conversations. But oftentimes, I don't think it's always about new things. I think oftentimes we're holding on to what's traditional in our own life. We're continuing to drink from the wells that we always have. As Christians, the Lord reveals to us something that is foolish to the world around us. Each one of you, if you have proclaimed Jesus Christ as your Savior, you believe in something that the world around us thinks is foolish. He doesn't want us to just dress it up, the gospel. He doesn't want us to leave out the crazy parts to make it more palatable for the culture. Because if we draw people into anything but the actual gospel, We've led them to drink from the wrong well. If we lead people to anything but the true gospel, we're leading them to drink from the wrong well. Dionysius and Damaris, these two people in part of the audience, Dionysius and Areopagite himself, were floating in a sea of philosophical thought when they were offered a drink from a pure well. And it could have been them, just like it was many of the others who mocked, that said instead, you know what? I've got plenty of water. I'm surrounded by water. I don't need your water. And sometimes that's the step we take. We look at the copious amounts of water, the goodness around us, and we tell the Lord that we don't need the water that he offers Dionysius and Damaris, their hearts weren't just filled with water. They were drenched in it. 
They were submerged in this water, yet the Lord revealed to them that the water that Paul was offering them was worth more than the sea that they swam in. I don't know if you've ever tried to drink salt water. Uh, It doesn't end well. Salt water, actually, our bodies can't dilute the salt fast enough, and we actually dehydrate ourselves by drinking more of it. And so if you're out in the sea, don't if you're out in the ocean, don't drink salt water. It'll kill you. But sometimes we look and say, well, it's got to be good. It's water. It's got to be close enough. It's water. But in time, it will kill you. In the midst of this mockery and completely opposite to the popular sentiment around them, Luke records for us in verse 34 that some men joined him. And believed, and among them were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Paul, of all people, knew what kind of sacrifice they were choosing to make. A Pharisee of Pharisees, he gave up his A-list status to become a D-lister in the eyes of his people. A man committed to the persecution of Christians when offered the waters of truth, drank it deep. Leaving behind the pride of his past and the esteem of his peers, a fate likely for Dionysius and Damaris as well, who gave up their alias lifestyle for a D-list existence in the eyes of the world. I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Josh's brother, John Tate, and he made this statement. The public well is poisoned today. If you take your bucket down to the university to draw water, or the newsroom, or to the movie theater, or to the governor's mansion, or to the corner pub, you will find that the water you get to drink there is poisoned with lies, error, manipulation, and delusion. And as Christians, we must be diligent in our pursuit of truth as well. We must become persuaded, not become persuaded by the popular sentiment around us. In 2 Timothy 3, 1-17, Paul warns this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. This keeps going. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. We can't live our lives like that. We cannot live our lives in such a way where we're always learning but never arriving at a knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. To do so would be to continue to drink from the wrong well. It'd be to continue to lead other people to the wrong well. 
to a well that will run dry, to a well that will not quench the thirst, to a well that maybe even tastes a little bit like sulfur. The pursuit of trust must be a killer of our own personal pride. Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, was faced with this choice. Pursue truth or pursue a relative version of it. Pursue truth or pursue a relative version of it that he actually had so long walked in. And maybe you are today. Walking in a relative version of truth that feels good, looks good, is generally okay, but is diluted just enough to not be pure. As Christians, we must understand our own potential for self-deception. In the pursuit of truth, we must set aside what seems good for what is right. Because in the sea of information and knowledge, let us not be ignorant of the most important things we could ever know. There's a basic cycle in the paradigm of the Christian faith. The primary cornerstone is that first the gospel exists. And if we as Christian believers believe it to be true, then the Bible instructs us that we must go out and proclaim that message. And in doing so, the uh, the church will grow as it was meant to. And so this is the basic paradigm of Christian faith, that the gospel exists to be proclaimed and the church will grow. And so what happens then if we are busy proclaiming that cornerstone of faith, the gospel itself, but from the wrong well? Luke 6.45 says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. An evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You might be saying that this isn't you. This isn't where I'm at. I'm all set. I'm good. This isn't how I live. But are we truly and honestly taking a deeper look at where we find our faith and what motivates our faith? What motivates our belief in Christ and our trust in Him? What is our bias towards the gospel that we think we believe in? Proverbs 21.2 says this, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And I think we all need to be doing this continually. We all need to be weighing our own hearts because I said we can all be susceptible to our own deceitful hearts. We all may need to take some time to look at what gospel we're proclaiming to our kids and to our families and to our brothers and our sisters and to the rest of the church and to the world around us. In times of great distress, it can become clearer what a person's heart is filled with or not filled with at all. And so then, Christian, what well are you drinking from? What well are you sharing from today with others? We don't have time to look at all the wells, but maybe it's the well of shame. Maybe you live your Christian faith in the well of fear. Maybe your Christian faith is founded in the well of legalism 
or prosperity or power or safety or pragmatism or knowledge or some other form of wokeism? Or is the gospel that you're proclaiming, the gospel that you're drinking from, is it the hidden at the edge of a field, pure, cold, quenching well of the true gospel of Jesus Christ? We have to ask ourselves that. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And so maybe today you are still searching for the right well. And I contend to you that you found it this morning. That you have found it in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dionysius and Demarius heard the word of Jesus Christ and they set aside an entire city worth of idols for the sake of one God. An unfamiliar, unpopular stance in their world of philosophy. And so I would contend to you today that that is He, Jesus Christ, in His death and resurrection. That is the well that you are looking for. Don't walk away here. Don't say, I think there might be a better well a few miles down. Don't say that maybe I can go buy some Dasani from the, who likes, I don't know, anyway. Is Dasani the best water now? No. They got pH balanced water. They got all kinds of water. Don't buy what the world is selling. Because the true well comes from Jesus Christ. Or maybe you know this well. Maybe you know who Jesus Christ is, but it's way too easy to just turn on the tap and get a drink of water. It's a little too much for this consumer culture that we've been steeped in. We must open our eyes to the idolatry that's around us. And in the midst of our worship, we must see that there are times that we're worshiping at the wrong well. You might have even come here today unprepared to worship God truly. You might have come here today with a different motivation to check off uh, this part of your week right off your little list. Okay, I need to go to church this Sunday. Perfect. It's a good start to my week. What is your motivation for the reason that you're here? There's one well. It never runs dry. There's one well that will quench for eternity. You will never have to drink from it again. And it's found in Jesus Christ. And so our instruction today from Paul, the instruction that he gave to Dionysius and Demarius and the rest of the people at the Areopagus that day was don't just be very religious. He says, I perceive that you're very religious. Don't just be very religious, church. Instead, pursue the truth. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful for your word today. We're thankful that it is living and it is active. And Lord, we see the names of people that are in your word only once. 
but who gave up a lifestyle and a knowledge of this world that was far from you for the opportunity to drink from a well that would never run dry. For the opportunity to praise a God who was worthy of praise that did not need to be served, that did not need a building built for him, that is not made of gold or silver or marble or bronze. You are a living God, a living well, and you offer yourself freely to us. And so, Lord, help us to drink deeply from this edge-of-the-field spring that is so cold and so refreshing that it will quench our first thirst for eternity. We pray this in your name. Amen.